0: All right. Well, welcome to The Fuse Podcast, where we spark change through conversation. My name is Max Nelson. I'm Yatin Cherma. Uh, And today we're going to be talking to Dr. William Sandel. Do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself before we jump into what we're going to be talking about?
1: Yeah. So my name is Dr. Bill Sandel. Uh, I'm a criminology professor here at Missouri State University, and I also direct our graduate certificate in crime prevention. My research and primary service focus is on active shooter events and responding to such events. Um, helping law enforcement uh, better respond to those events and be able to
0: stop the killing and stop the dying. Right. And that that kind of leads me to like the the next question, specifically focusing on active shooter events. Is there like a legal penalty for active shootings that's different for mass shootings? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because
1: even though we have these federal definitions, oftentimes when we talk about charging these people for crimes, they're being charged for murder, right? It's not that you are charged with an active shooter event. Mm-hmm. An active shooter event, while, of course, the action is a crime, the actual crime is murder yeah. or attempted That's, murder, yeah. right? So there's, there's nobody who goes into a courtroom and is being charged for an active mm-hmm. shooter event or charged for mass yeah. murder specifically. They're being charged for multiple murders.
0: Yeah. So for, like, active shooter event, the person didn't, um, hit anybody. Nobody's even injured. Is that a charge of like attempted first degree? Because an active shooter event, you would typically plan this stuff out. They they can be planned.
1: Mm-hmm. There are cases where somebody was fired, went out, got a gun out of their car, came back in and shot everybody they could in the workplace, nice. right? There are some people that plan nice. for years and have manifestos and it's, it's very different. Yeah. Um, as far as the charging, that's completely up to the prosecuting office and what they determine, right? The police right. don't really have a say in that. They're just gathering evidence after responding mm-hmm. to these events and and trying to build a case. But it's totally up to the prosecutor on
0: deciding what to actually charge. If you talk about uh, how how much percentage of people go for manifesting this, and how much people a percent of people go for like heat of the moment, do you have that I mean, something on
1: that? It's very difficult to say right. because that data is typically tried to it's. It's collected after the fact, and we try to make assumptions or conclusions based on sometimes an active shooter that may have been committed suicide on scene or killed uh, as a result of the active shooting. So it's it's very difficult to really put numbers on that. Um, certainly, anecdotally, we, we do
0: see cases in both fields, but I couldn't tell you exactly. It's nothing we've ever collected. I could not fathom, like, just being in that, like, what kind of a mental place do you have to be in? to like get fired or something like that and then go like, that is an insane place to be at.
1: Yeah, you know, we certainly as a society always want to say somebody had to be crazy to be mm-hmm. able to do that, right? We lucky. can't, Yeah, we can't imagine us doing something mm-hmm. like that. So we would say nobody in their right mind would just go in and start killing everybody they saw or trying to kill everybody they saw, right? But many of these shooters, like I said, especially in the beginning half of the data, were dead by the end of these events, so it's really hard psychologically to go back and try to analyze them. Certainly people do that, and we see attempts at that all the time, but it's kind of poor psychology to try to just make definitive statements about a person's state of mind if they're no longer there to actually be analyzed, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what's difficult about making these determinations about the people who do these shootings. Um, Certainly they're in a different place than the three of us would be in response to a similar event. Oh, but yeah. it's it's hard to say that 100% every single one of them was out of their mind crazy, right? And that's, that's right. difficult. It's yeah. difficult that we can't say that. But I will say one interesting thing is I think we're starting to get better data on that because in more recent years, um, less shooters are committing suicide or being shot by yeah. police as a response to this. So a lot more being subdued. And we can start to actually analyze yeah. these attackers and, and really see yeah. kind of the motive
0: behind them. Yeah. I'm from St. Louis, and recently there, there was an active shooter event, and I believe a school shooting that, that, that happened in St. Louis. But the person, I believe, uh, was killed at the scene. Is, is there an increased expectation for police officers to um, fire first, ask questions later, or sub, subdue? Is there like a new policy or is it more state to state?
1: So there's no real policy in place Mm -hmm. for that, but you do have to think – and this is what's so different about an active shooter event. This is somebody actively trying to kill as many people as they can Mm -hmm. often. And we know that police officers certainly have the ability to use deadly force in situations where people are trying to kill them or trying to kill other citizens. And that's what these cases are. People are trying to kill as many people as possible or – shoot at the police officers when they get there. It's definitely one of the most dangerous responses police officers can go to. Um, So frequently there is no question on whether the use of force was correct or not. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. There may have been out there. But, I mean, frequently these are clearly ongoing killings where police will give commands and then get shot at or, you know, the – the shooter commits suicide as soon as police arrive, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So
0: how do media coverage and public discourse around mass shooting or active shooters impact the frequency and the severity of these events?
1: You know, it's it's really difficult to say. Um, we kind of prescribe to this don't name them campaign to try to help with any sort of contagion effect that seeing an active attack or an active shooting might have in the media and so and by we i mean the advanced law enforcement rapid response training center the alert center who's the fbi's national standard for active shooter training and response so these guys were named the gold standard of how to respond to active shooter events Um, and that's where i worked before i came up here to missouri state university and they really pushed this idea of don't name them don't talk about the shooter don't give that person their 15 minutes of fame, but instead focus on the victims and their lives and what they contributed to the world. Uh, And that is frequently to try to get to where people aren't getting that spotlight. So there is no real contagion effect where somebody says, well, you know, they talked about that person for weeks on the media, so now I'm going to because I want to be talked about, right? Though I'm sure that does happen, I have no specific numbers on it. Right, it's it's yeah. a very difficult thing because, like I said, for a lot of these cases, the shooter is dead by the end of it. So mm-hmm. there's no real, you know, did you do this because you saw it on a news report and wanted to emulate it or how that worked?
0: Go ahead and talk about the, um, what was it, the uh, the Active Shooter Center or the, the, the alert, alert Center? center? Yeah, the, the Alert Center. Go ahead yeah, and talk about so, that Yeah, so... They started actually
1: back in 2002 Mm -hmm. as a response to Columbine, which is kind of seen as the keystone event for modern active shooter events. While there were active shooter events prior to 1999 when Columbine happened, it was kind of a jumping off point for police responding to these events. Because in Columbine, what you had was officers who were generally trained to show up to a scene like that, set a perimeter because active shooting was not very common and wait for SWAT to get there and be able to deal with that this. It still happens a lot. <laughs> and, still I mean, when it a takes lot. a long time for SWAT to show up, mm-hmm. obviously people are dying this entire time because what that sort of policy is geared towards is more of a hostage or barricaded suspect, mm-hmm. right? But when people are just dying this whole time, we have to be able to respond to these faster. So the alert center was born and they actually work with the FBI on... Um, creating they worked with the FBI on creating um, these courses that they can offer to police officers in how to respond to these actual events to try to like I said, stop the killing and stop the dying yeah. as fast as possible.
0: Can you talk about that a little bit, or like, or is it like a bit confidential? Like you got to go to the uh, so the, <laughs> the actual for it.
1: yeah the actual courses they offer are mm. for law, law enforcement right. or first responder only because yeah. there is a movement towards this rescue task force model, yeah. which includes fire and EMS as part of the response process as well. Um, but they do offer what's called a CRACE course or a civilian response to active shooter events course. And it once again uses data to kind of go through how you as a civilian could respond to this. And I'm sure you guys have heard Run Hide Fight before. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. That was that was kind of made um in conjunction with Houston PD and uh the Department of Homeland Security. Okay. And then Alert kind of came along and did more of a research examina- examination of this and came out with Avoid, Deny, Defend or ADD. And okay. they're fairly similar to Run, Hide, Fight, but there are some key differences. What are that, those differences? That make it important. So.
0: Because I've never heard of this before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was born in 02. So yeah, I, this I, is... I've seen every iteration I thought, <laughs> but this is brand new. Yeah. So Avoid, Deny,
1: Defend. Um, when we look at avoid versus run, there's a little bit more of a tactical way of thinking when we think about avoidance, right? Running, we think pick a direction and take off, right? right.
0: And that's what I was always told was like, hey, get right. out the window and bolt. Yeah, like, just, just zigzag get away on your as way fast out. as yes, possible. You know? And that
1: makes a lot of sense unless you're in a complex area right. or maybe you only are thinking about a primary exit. And that's where the shooter comes through well, now you have nowhere to run. But if you're thinking about the idea of avoiding, you're thinking a little more tactically. Maybe there's a secondary exit. Maybe there's a way out the back. Maybe I can break a window and get through mm-hmm. like we saw in Virginia Tech, right? Yeah. And so it's a little bit more tactical way of thinking. The biggest difference really comes between the idea of denying access to your location or hiding.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hiding, people typically think, okay, I'll crawl under my desk or, you know, I'll hide behind this cabinet, that sort of thing. But to my knowledge, once an attack has begun, no active shooter has ever breached a locked door. So denying access to your location, instead of saying, I need to hide under this desk, maybe you say, I need to run to this door and lock it. You have just increased your level of survivability Right. Dramatically. Right. Because there are not trying barricade. to, like, you know,
0: break in anywhere. They're just wandering around, it takes th- around too the much time. waiting for someone to wander out. It takes too much time.
1: Right. Um, and we also know that a lot of people who have gone the hiding route in events have been found and shot. Mm. If you're hiding under a desk, you've kind of trapped yourself. If the active shooter walks around and now you're huddled under a desk and they're standing above you, we know that active shooters tend to hunt and look for people um, we've seen active shooters shoot people that mm-hmm. already look dead and are dead. So we know right. that playing dead is not a great option. So it's really going to that mindset of do everything you can to stop the shooter from getting to you if you can't avoid. Right? Right. So barricade if you can't lock the door, that sort of thing. Um, and when it comes to defend versus fight, it's it's more of a semantic argument. People kind of have a negative connotation with the word "fight." You're told your whole life really? you're not supposed to fight people. Fighting mm-hmm. is bad. But everybody knows they have a right to defend themselves. Gotcha. And most all of the run, hide, fight training now teaches all these tactics.
0: It's still just under the
1: run, catchier kind of run, hide, fight. That's it is a lot a, catchier. Yeah. yeah, it's been around yeah. for longer. So yeah, because that
0: does sound familiar. Just ADD, I, yeah. I never heard of B. Because whenever I was sitting in a classroom, it was always like, "All right, like we're we're gonna you know." Like, we're going to go and we're going to immediately lock the door. We're going to, like, hide out of view. And right. then, like, hey, all all the boys and the, and the teacher are going to grab a weapon and get ready just in case.
1: Yeah, um, because if it comes down to you being stuck in a room with the attacker mm-hmm. and it's do nothing and be shot or maybe do something and not be shot, yeah. and we really see in school attacks, this is where the highest group of citizen – Subduing the attacker as the end really? result it happens in schools. I want to say it's in around 36% of the active attack cases. So that includes knives and vehicles wow. as well. Okay. Um, That's a big chunk. Versus like 14% in businesses and stuff gotcha. like that. So it's we we have definitely seen this be effective. Gotcha. Right. And so um and schools are certainly a little different. Mm-hmm. There's typically a pre-established relationship between the teacher and the attacker—that right. sort of thing. So, uh, the civilians have a little bit of an upper hand in those situations. But once again, if you're trapped in the room with the shooter, defend yourself oh, and yeah. and don't fight fair. Yeah, right. This I is a fight human for survival. Just kick in at yeah.
0: that point. I mean, yeah, yeah, bite, scratch,
1: yeah. gouge, do whatever you can to win that fight, get that gun away because. Yeah. Otherwise, you are likely to be shot if you're just stuck in the room with the shooter.
0: Street fights are not fair fights. But that is, of course, the last,
1: right? That is the last thing. Mm -hmm. If if you are stuck, that's what you should do. If you can avoid, avoid. If you can deny access to your location, do that. But if all of that fails, then you get to the defend yourself. Mm -hmm. No active shooter class preaches going out and hunting (laughs) down the attacker (laughs) and trying to stop it. That's... Right. respond in kind. That's <laughs> the that's the police officers. Don't do that. Job. Please don't do that. <laughs> and not. they're yeah, they're the ones ready to do that. But what's a, what alerts really done for police officers is instead of having to wait for a SWAT team, if we know that this is the national standard and everyone around has had this training, you could have a patrol officer and a school resource officer and a sheriff's mm-hmm. deputy and an FBI agent all show up. They've all had the same yeah. training. They can form a team and go in there and immediately deal with this instead of waiting for a tactical team to show up.
0: Is it, like like you said, we practice earthquake, fire, tornado drills. Are you more likely to use your preparation during, like, an active shooter drill than you will, like, a tornado drill? Like, is are, 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 are we at the point in this country where it's more likely that an active shooter event is going to happen in a school than, like, a tornado?
1: It's definitely not a super common thing. Mm -hmm. I know oftentimes when we talk about active shooter events, we specifically think of schools. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to kind of exclude the 2022 numbers because that just came out a couple days ago in this conversation. But generally, the actually most common type of location attacked is a business. Really? So schools account for about 20% of active shooter events in the total data set which is not what we think when we hear about them right? yeah. because these are some of the most devastating. Obviously, innocent children being shot is going to get mm-hmm. more coverage and more attention than somebody shooting in a McDonald's parking lot, right? But it is more common for businesses to be attacked. I do think actually the most common attack location in the 2022 data set was actually outdoors, so really? starting to see more people roaming around a town or a city shooting randomly wow um, oh my but gosh. certainly the numbers have not capped businesses yet really? in total they did for 2022 but but not in total so it is you know we think about lockdown drills and stuff for school and mm-hmm. and preparing kids for that but these are still rel- relatively rare events when we think about how many school days there are in a year and how many schools get attacked each year. Right. I think the 2022 data set had two school attacks and one of those was on a school bus. Right. Um, so that's two attacks out of how many days of school and yeah. how many schools in the United States. Right. So still relatively infrequent, but really Good to be prepared for because these do happen any and everywhere. This is not just an urban problem or a rural problem. I mean, they truly happen everywhere.
0: Yeah, so outdoors, really. So, what, like, we've been talking about schools this whole time, and in my mind, what's the difference in how law enforcement is taught to engage in a school shooting? Versus like you know a business or somebody who's just like wandering around outside, like what's the difference?
1: So the way alert trains is not necessarily on a specific location type, but they do have um classes that are more geared towards indoor responses, moving through a building, checking rooms, that sort of thing and there are class, there is a class called the arrays class, which is specifically geared towards active shooter events out in open spaces. So um, it is something that police can train on and and Mm -hmm. should train on because we never know how the, right, this could totally shift and outdoors could be the number one from here on out or it could shift and schools become the number one or churches become the number one. We just don't know. But what we do know is currently businesses are like I said in the overall yeah. data set, the most common attack location. So,
0: in, in those cases, I know that actually said the most commonly in schools, people typically are like it's civilians are the ones who subdue that. So, it's typically law enforcement who subdue in non school. So, in school, 36% of the 36, time. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, not, okay. not the most, but much more much than more. Okay. compared to the overall how, data set. How often do like you know, people with concealed carry? Um, like law-abiding citizens with with guns end up being the ones to subdue. Do you know that off the top of your head? Those if not, numbers are definitely in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't
1: know the specific figure off the top of my head. I want to mm-hmm. say when looking at active attacks, so once again, vehicles and knives right. included. I want to say it's around four okay. percent of the total cases, right? Because um, I. I believe around 14% of the time in the overall data set, citizens are stopping the attack. 10% of the time they're subduing. 4% of the time they're shooting the
0: attacker. Do you think then that, I mean, like, this is all just speculation, right? But it, like, everybody carried kind of thing. Do you think that that might help mitigate the risk of these kinds of events happening or being less deadly than they actually are? Like, would that have any sort of an impact on the back end of it? It's, it's
1: really hard to say, and certainly that gets yeah. really political. It's hard to say whether right. more people would then stop the attacker or more people would then attack because they have a gun on them right then and there. Seems like it'd be upset. very
0: intimidating, like to be like, "Well, I'm going to go," and then like all of a sudden, fifteen guns are pointed right back at you. It it seems ideally like that would be a great thing to have, but right? certainly
1: we know that criminals don't make the wisest decisions, they don't really care. and they don't, yeah. yeah, it just it depends. Yeah. Um, And that's why, like, when alert talks about civilian response, it's Mm -hmm. not whether you have a gun or whether you don't or whether you're pro-gun or anti-gun. It's just the fact of you could consider yourself, if you were in the room with the shooter when the the shooting starts, right, you can consider yourself the first responder Mm -hmm. because you are the first one there. Yeah. And that's why we just talk about what you do matters. It's not you know, you should go out and buy a gun. Um, It's not, you should take karate classes and get ready to fight all the time. It's just that what you do matters in these events. And that's where the citizen role comes in. So in this conversation, we really stay away from whether people should have a gun or not. What we do say is if you do have a gun on you as a concealed carry holder, once again, it's not your job to go hunt down the attacker. It's still your job to get out of there as quickly as possible, deny access to your location, and then if
0: you are left with no other option, defend yourself, however you see fit. All right, we're getting into the last couple of questions here. So, Ken, can, can you talk for a second about how, I mean, you know, how the hell do we get involved with the active or the, the, the alert center? Like, how can civilians get involved with that?
1: So they, the Alert Center, I think, currently has 10 classes, and nine of those are the law enforcement-specific right. citizens are not allowed in. Um, but totally they fair. do have that one CRACE class. And there are um, different ways you can request a CRACE class, or sometimes there's just some that get put on around the community I know the uh, Battlefield Neighborhood Watch Program, which is community-wide, actually invited me to come do a crace class for them mm-hmm. last month. So I did one in Battlefield. Um, awesome. Some of the navigators at OTC recently right. came over, and I did a crace class for them. So there are people in the community yeah. that can put these classes on, or you can reach out to the Alert Center at alert.org and request to find one that's happening near you or um be able to get in touch with a point of contact who is actually certified to teach the class.
0: And they take donations, right?
1: Alert is entirely grant, grant. funded, grant. so okay. it is totally free. Gotcha. And in fact that they, even for those who train citizens, they demand that you offer the training for free right? because they are grant funded. Good. So yeah, Good. it's, it's absolutely Good. free training and it's not, a run-and-gun kind of training. Mm-hmm. They're not going to set blank guns off to see how you respond, <laughs> which some civilian hey, training fam. does, and yeah, that's, it does. that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is more of having you understand the data, getting a bigger picture of that, and then understanding what you do matters and getting more into that tactical way of thinking mindset. So if an active shooter comes through the primary location, I'm thinking about a back exit, that sort of
0: thing. How can we continue to have productive conversation about mass shooting or active shooters and work towards creating a safer and more peaceful place in in the society? Yeah, I think think it's a
1: very important thing to do. Um, And I think a big part of that kind of goes back to the beginning of our conversation, understanding what we're talking about. Are we talking about mass shootings? Are we talking about active shooter events? Because there's likely different responses to those sorts of things. But just continuing that conversation, educating people, I think, is extremely important. You know, obviously, we all hope that none of us will experience these events, but it's important for us to be prepared if they do happen, right? So just thinking about your environment, um, keeping an eye out when you're in public, right, kind of better understanding your surroundings, so if one of these events were to happen, you've now you're not thinking about it on the spot while you're super stressed because there's gunshots. You already have a plan in mind. You can actually move and execute mm-hmm. that plan. And I think that's really the important part. I think we're at this this kind of education step where if we as a society can just make it more and more difficult or these attacks less and less successful, then we're winning.
0: I certainly hope that as we continue down this path of education that the media just like as a whole – starts using the right terms more often or that we get some sort of like, like a unified definition because that fear-mongering yeah, from, it's, from the media man. And it, it, it
1: can be <laughs> intentional and it can be unintentional, but this is why right. it's so important for databases to be very upfront and honest about how they're defining things and then for the media to represent that when they're presenting numbers, say where it came from and how these numbers were defined.
0: Thank you for listening to The Fuse Podcast. If you want to help us spark conversations just like this one, you can engage in our mission at fusecampaign.org. You can request more episodes or just get in touch with us through our website. This episode and all other episodes in our series can be downloaded wherever you find your podcasts.